where we invite women to give us the dish. I'm your host, Hope, and thank you for joining us as we explore the varied intersections of food and feminism. Tonight, I have with me my colleague, Sandy, as my co-host. Hi, Sandy. Hi, everyone. (laughs) And uh, joining us is Laura, a chef with over 25 years experience and a mother of four. So welcome, everyone, to Femidish. We're doing this episode... um, in a situation that we didn't expect, we had planned to record in person, kind of everybody getting together, hanging out, and maybe sharing a glass of wine or something. Um, but we are recording remotely, so I ask that you bear with us for sound um, reasons. As much as we'd like to keep this podcast conversation to topic of food and feminism, it will be impossible to avoid the current world state um, as everyone is undergoing immense life changes due to the coronavirus epidemic. So Laura, so you've been a cook for 25 years and how did you get started cooking? Um, Well, to be quite honest, um, what got me into the passion of cooking is my mom's cooking. (laughs) And I hope she never listens to this, but uh, my mom never liked to cook with a lot of seasonings. Um, It was always just very simple which, you know, granted with what she was working with, that's completely understandable, but it made me want to explore and experiment more with different flavors, different seasonings, marinades, all that. And I don't know, once I started, it kind of just took off. Um, Actually, my first job at 14 years old, I was starting as a dishwasher, washing dishes by hand, Um, at this teeny tiny little restaurant that we used to have the next town over. Um, Ever since then, it kind of went, you know, from restaurant to restaurant and, you know, to where I am today, where now I'm a top chef in the establishment I'm in. And, you know, I'm the only female that works in the kitchen. And yeah, you know, it's a I went to school for it in a trade high school for four years and that was a lot of fun, you know, and, and I just, I like the environment. I like the atmosphere. Um, for me personally, working in a job that's very fast paced is something that I need, um, just to keep me busy, you know, to keep, to keep my mind interested. So it's worked very well for me over the years. Now, you mentioned that um, you're currently the only woman in the kitchen. Now, is that typically been the case for you? or? Uh, yeah, most of my career has been. Um, I, there is one other woman that works there now, um, but, you know, she's kind of new. Uh, but, yeah, it's been pretty much there's, you know, a woman will come in and, work for a few months and she'll usually either end up leaving or going, you know, out to do like the serving and waitressing or bartending. Um, I guess like, it's kind of like, um, you know, you got to have thick skin to work in a quote unquote man's world, I guess you would call it. Laura, can you tell us where you work, you know, where you are in the States and um, what kind of restaurant you work in? Just stuff. give us a little bit of background. Um, the restaurant I work in is kind of like a, I would say like a grill and bar type restaurant. Um, I live in the town of Greenfield. So, you know, there's not too many options around here. Greenfield, and, Massachusetts? Yep. Okay. And, um traveling long distance for work for me at this point in time is not feasible. So I went to, uh, I've actually known the manager, um, for probably about 15 years. We worked side by side at a local Applebee's, um, as line cooks and he ended up moving on through the ladder and going to another corporation and becoming the general manager. And he offered me a job and I went and uh, I've actually just hit in March, my four year mark at the place I'm at. Um, 
like I said, it's like a <clears throat> grill and bar type pub style, but we serve everything from, you know, lobster and seafoods to fried foods, you know, burgers, steaks, like we kind of do a mix of everything. So it's corporate based, but we're also able to use a little bit of creativity with certain things. So ideally it's not what I would rather, but it's good and they treat me good. So I like it there. <laughs> Have you felt like being a woman in that environment, like you said, man's world, usually that has like a real negative connotation for sure. Have you felt like you've been able to contribute some unique things that people have really jumped on? I would definitely say I've had better experiences working with men, honestly. Um, obviously in the very infantile state of my, you know, career, it was a little intimidating. I'm not going to lie. Um, they definitely would raz me more um not necessarily in a malicious way but in kind of like you know you want to hang with the big boys you got to be a big boy type attitude so I think like growing up for me being a tomboy it was a lot easier for me to relate with the, the guys and I've I've kind of always made a joke everywhere I've gone like oh I'm just one of the guys you know so it's actually I've had my problems. I'm not going to lie. Like there, there's definitely been the male figures out there that have had problems with working side by side with a female or even working underneath a female, you know, at the few places that I was actually a boss, which I, I currently am like a assistant kitchen manager in my position that I'm in currently. So, but I would definitely say I've had more positive experiences in my personal career. That's very cool. That's really, that's good to hear. Yeah. It's almost like they kind of treat me like their little sister, you know, like it's like family. Hope, you've had a lot of experience in kitchens and stuff too. Do you, would you corroborate that? Has that been your experience? Um, it's, it's varied greatly from kitchen to kitchen. I've worked in kitchens, um, like in New York City versus um, small towns. And I have to say the each kitchen has like just come with like a very distinct personality. And that goes right down to the way the guys, and I'm going to say guys because it's been very, very rare that there's been any other, any other women in the kitchen with me. Um, you know, as a young cook, it was really hard because they were older guys and I definitely felt um, kind of excluded or like Laura said, kind of harassed more. I don't know if that's the right, right. right word. Kind of, yeah, given yeah. more because I was a girl. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, but as I got older and um, more experienced, and I think some of it is there is like this stereotype that maybe women aren't strong enough because it is very physically um, tough work. And, and there is no that. It's very physically grueling. And so there is some, somewhat of an expectation, I think, from men when they see a woman walk in, especially, you know, um, I'm like five feet tall. So kind of right. what <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh God, she's never going to be able to hack this. You know, it's just, she's just going to be asking for help all the time. Um, and so I feel like in every new kitchen that I worked in, I really kind of had to prove myself. And then once I did, um, I, I would agree. There was always like a very kind of sibling sort of mm -hmm. bond that would develop because you spend so much time in the kitchen together. And, um, and it is very different, um, than the front of the house where it tends to be mostly women where I feel like there's just like a lot more gossip and, and it, mm -hmm. it's very different, the yeah. personality of the I front can, of the house. The I can house. definitely attest to that as a front of the house person, for sure. There's like, and it doesn't always happen, but I feel like much, and their kitchen has their own set of drama, <laughs> you know, you the, in the back. Oh, yeah. But it, it's, it's different. It's a whole different set of drama. And I, and I don't know if that's a gendered thing. I don't know if it's a, because you're more on the line for money thing. Like, you know, if someone messes up your table or your order, then that like directly impacts how much money you get with tips. Whereas like in the kitchen, it's a, 
you know, you kind of know what you're going to get for money. So it's a different, there's different things that would set people off. So I don't know what the dynamic is. I thought about it a lot. I don't know if it's just gender, but it very well could be because women can tend to not be as straightforward as men. Right. Yeah. Um, I, that, that's interesting. My husband, um, actually were kind of a unique couple because I've primarily worked in the back of the house and he's always worked in the front of the house. Um, so two things on that. One is he, for many, many years, worked in a pool tip house, and now he doesn't, and he hasn't for the last four years. He's worked in a establishment where they keep their own tips, which I think is more standard. Um, but he constantly complains about the fact that in a pool tip house, um, your everybody's tips depends on everybody's table. So there yeah. is... You know what I mean? Like you're always concerned about any guest's experience because it's shared and, and that um, kind of shared investment, I think, leads not only to a more collaborative front of the house experience, but also a better experience for the guests because they can stop anybody and anybody is just as concerned about that table's well-being as the next person. It's not like a let me find your server. Kind right, of right. That's interesting. It kind of promotes like the teamwork aspect. You know, you got to have the teamwork in the front of the house, if, like in the back of the house, especially, you know, right. you have to be able to work in close quarters with, you know, anywhere from one other to four other people, sometimes more like depending on the size of your kitchen. So if you don't have that aspect of teamwork and that, you know, camaraderie or, you know, whatever you want to call it, it's just not going to work. You know? Yeah, and that, that kind of brings up something um, quite a while ago now when Sandy and I were just in the planning stages of this podcast project. I remember um, having this phone conversation one night um, and I was talking about the fact that women tend to compete with each other or they tend to view other women as competition. And I feel like it's just harmful from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so this, this weird cultural thing where it's like, you're competing for, I, I guess, in, in its most primitive sense, we're all competing for male attention. Yeah. <laughs> as silly as that is, um, it, it just creates this environment of competition, which. Well, I feel women also with, you know, without sounding too like one-sided or whatever, women have to fight for their equality you know because it is such a man's world it would be no different than if a woman was to walk into let's say a car mechanic job you know or anything like that where it's more more male dominantly run right so the integration of male fields it's it's yeah we got to prove our worth and you know once once women do then the men take them on like they're no different you know and that kind of stuff gets much more exacerbated with like women of color or immigrants or right. like you have so much that like what you said about having to prove yourself you know you're at there it's like society already views you as like lesser so you need to prove that you're even just on the same playing field and like when you have those different intersections of of gender and race and things like that um it really it, you have to prove yourself even more right because it doesn't matter where we come from or what race or ethnic ethnicity we are or anything like that it, you know it all comes down to skill and knowledge of whatever it is that you're doing the you know the job or the task or you know the challenge that you have it all comes down to if you're capable to execute it properly and quickly in, you know, if we're speaking in a kitchen without making any mistakes or, you know, very minimal, you know. And, and the thing about the ability to get those skills, like if we take it a step further thinking like, um, you know, there might be a language barrier. So someone might be slower because they're not that they necessarily aren't physically capable of doing skills we use like the kitchen metaphor still you know they're they're physically capable right. of learning how to do uh, like the chopping skills and knife skills and stuff but they maybe it's going to take them a little longer because they have a language barrier or because there was some like education issue you know disruptions in their um in their upbringing and that that can typically typically happen with like you know unfortunately is like more prevalent in communities of color and stuff and um other 
properties. So just even getting to that point of having the same abilities to be skillful um, yeah. is interrupted for a lot of those people. So it's funny that you bring that up, Sandy, because I actually have the um, that experience, except as an American citizen who obviously speaks English fluently, um, that was my hindrance. So working in a major city where you're being um, hired into these kitchens that predominantly speak Spanish. Mm and may not speak English is I've been that person who is totally capable of doing the job, except I can't understand the instructions. Right. Um, Or the communication even, I can imagine that could be difficult. So my favorite example is I worked in one kitchen um, as a tournat, which in a very traditional French style brigade kitchen system, you have the executive chef and then you have sous chefs and then you have the tournat underneath them and they're tasked with knowing kind of every position in the kitchen and they're mm-hmm. the one that gives everybody their lunch break they're the one that gives everybody their day off so it's you're the float you, you have to know everything but you're not necessarily in charge right <laughs> um and i feel like so, if that's not a metaphor for being a woman i don't know what is right <laughs> seriously you have to know everything that's going on you're responsible for everyone but you're not in charge and you don't get any credit yeah, exactly. So this this job, I remember when I first got it, it was like um, the line was quite large across directly across from me would be the expediter. And to one side of me were two men and to the other side of me were two or three men, depending on if it was a lunch or dinner service. It was a very large kitchen. Um, and the men that I, I think about is there was one who was from Jamaica. So although he spoke English, it was with a very heavy accent Mm -hmm. and would often kind of go back into Patois, um, which is the Jamaican version of English. Um, Then some, another gentleman uh, from the Bronx and someone from the Dominican Republican who spoke Spanish. Um, The sous chef across from me was from Mexico and spoke Spanish. (laughs) Um, And so when it came to my ability to communicate with them, I was the one that was holding things up because their common language or the majority of them, because obviously the gentleman from Jamaica did speak English, but the the most common language in the kitchen was Spanish. And I, I had to give instruction and receive information in a language that I just didn't know at the time, which, so I feel for anyone, whichever direction that language barrier is going in, whether you're non-English speaking person going into an English speaking kitchen or vice versa, incredibly challenging right <laughs> the, they'll see you coming in and be like oh look at this girl like she's not gonna be able to do anything she can't you know hold a heavy knife whatever it is um and then it's like they give you instruction and you understand it. and it's like see that just proves our point she can't do it yeah. she can't do it yep. there's all these other things going on um, yeah and that happens in like so many other industries so uh, laura i have to ask then um are you you're not working then right now uh, currently, well, currently I am not working. Um, I am on call, I guess you would call it. Uh, basically we are still open, um, as of right now for the takeout only. Uh, we don't let anybody in the building. So cook the food and pack it up and bring it out to your car for you. Okay. So um, take- Yeah, I have opted because my fiance works at a grocery store, which is obviously very highly populated right now. Um, I thought being on the safer side because he's already out in public and we are, you know, clearly losing hours like drastically, um, us as a whole team. Um, I mean, we've pretty much laid off the entire front of the house. Yeah, uh, I think four, four servers or hosts that will come in during the week and, you know, do the exchanges with the people. But I figured I would just be safe considering I have children to look after. Um, none of them are in school and haven't been, um, you know, it's going on a month now. Yep. And... So I was trying to make it so, one, I was here with my family, taking care of them, making sure we were all good here, but also at the same time, like, 
giving, you know, my coworkers the hours that were there, like let them, you know, financially we were pay enough to not have to work. And like I said, with my fiance still working full time, um, we weren't as hurting for money as some of my other coworkers. So I decided to just take one for the team, I guess they would say in the back of the house. <laughs> wow. That's really how self-aware and or not, even, I guess not self-aware, but like situationally aware, like, okay, I don't necessarily need these. Obviously it'd be nice right. need these hours and they'd be better spent bolstering up someone else. Yes. Might not be I mean, I get, I could, I, like I said, I'm on call. So, you know, obviously being, you know, the assisting, I, I get a lot of phone calls and texts anyways, like questions or, you know, I can do the orders remotely or, you know, stuff like that. So I can still help out, but still be home and not have to, you know, go there or, or take any hours away from my team. So I just figured it was the best opportunity for everybody. It was kind of a win-win and a no-brainer for me. Wow. That's great. So this line of, of conversation actually just, it, I have like a thousand questions. Um, my first one is kind of both of you. And so now, Laura, you mentioned that you're one of the only women in the back of the house. And because your establishment is still open for takeout, there is still hours for cooks. But um, you said there's only about maybe four front of the house staff aside from managers coming in to do the front of the house side of it. Um, right. You guys think, I mean, I know facts and figures aren't out about who is applying for unemployment exactly, but I bet that's not unique and that all of these kitchens across the United States that have modified their business model to remain open for takeout only, that means they're laying off most of their front of the house staff while maintaining some hours available for the back of the house staff. So it sounds like, we could probably safely assume that this, the mass layoff in the restaurant industry is disproportionately affecting female workers. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, like, you know, it's, it's naturally front of the house is, I mean, female. yeah, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, in every establishment I've ever worked, it's very female dominated, dominated in the front of the house. Um, we do have a few, um, I think we have maybe four or five total um, males who are servers slash hosts. Um, but yeah, it's definitely uh, female affected in the kitchen, you know, restaurant industry anyways. Um, I can't speak for every food industry, you know, like fast foods, obviously different um, than a dining establishment, but yeah, I would say yeah. females are definitely more affected in the restaurant business anyways. Do you guys think that bartenders are more likely to be male or female? Ooh. Um, uh, well, That's I guess... One. That would have to depend on, I'd say, the establishment itself, because my last job that I had um, when I was working at Applebee's, I was there for 10 years, and I would say the bartenders were very female dominant in that particular establishment. The place I'm in now, um, I guess at this current time it's more females but if you were to ask me say like even six months ago it was pretty 50 50 hmm. yeah so i just googled this and you i'm googling it too that on. <laughs> according to data usa thanks to google 58.1 percent of bartenders are female making them mm -hmm. slightly more common mm -hmm. but that's really not as, as much of a like a one gender or the other. So it's interesting that bartenders would be more equally split. Whereas I think even without Googling it, it I would say it's safe to assume there's far more female servers than male. Yeah, servers. looking at this from the Boston Globe in 2017, food servers, non-restaurant. So I don't know what that means. Food servers, non-restaurant are 71.3% female. I think that would have referred to... Um, 
like industrial food serving, like uh, schools, cafeterias, hospitals. Okay. And then this one says hosts and hostesses, restaurant, lounge, and coffee shop are 80% female. Yep. So doesn't, neither one of those specifically say like um, waitresses. Oh, waiters and waitresses are 70, 70% female. There's right here. So according to the boss, I think that also might fall into a category of females being dominant in any kind of retail. You know what I mean? Right. Because they're another sector that's been like massively laid off during this too. Right. Because there's definitely a lot of female retail, you know, rather it's a cashier anywhere, you know what I mean? Or a bartender or anybody that deals with the public and money exchange and anything like that. It's, I feel like it's a lot more female, at least in my area anyways. Yeah, I th- I might be right. I mean, it's, it, it feels a little subjective just from like the restaurants I go to and the ones that I like have worked in. But I do think I notice a male server I would notice a female server. Like, not like I notice like, hey, male server, but like right. <laughs> notices and like, oh, my server is male. Like, it, but if I just had a female server, I don't think I would even, it wouldn't even, I wouldn't even clock it. But I think that they're, right. me, it seems like they're infrequent enough. I'm like, oh, it's a, you don't see it. Right. Yep. Yeah, this, this um, from the boss has all kinds of the breakdown. Um, and it looks like the highest female um, dominated is preschool and kindergarten teachers. 97.5% are female. Um, so so there are, most of those folks are still in jobs. Um, 94% is secretary and administrative assistants. So I don't... What was that last one? Child care? Uh, secretaries and administrative assistants. And then... But oh, child, child care workers are 944 most of them are actually unemployed currently. Of of what childcare? Yeah. Childcare, yeah. Um, most uh, child cares have shut down right now. Point. Yeah. Um, except for those who, out of the goodness of their hearts, are um, staying open for caring for children of essential workers, and some hospitals and and different establishments like that that obviously have essential workers working for them have actually opened in-house child cares for the duration of the virus. So as a child care provider, what I do to pay my bills currently, um, most of my fellow child cares that I am in direct communication with have closed their doors for this. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Just, just to highlight the mainly women dominated field that's highly unemployed currently. Yeah. uh, This one is is also Hairdressers, hairstylists, and cosmetologists are 92% female. Yep. Now, I have to say, I don't do my nails or hair, and I am somewhat shockingly surprised about the amount of people whose um, grooming habits are significantly impacted by the closing of salons. Right. (laughs) I know. I've seen, like, posts on social media. It's like, girls, like, I can't wait to get my nails done. I'm like, oh. I'm wondering. So, Laura, you and I both work back in the house. And so, I'm assuming neither of us ever get our nails done because nail polish and fake nails are so frowned upon in the back of the house. Most places would not allow you to work. No, Um, we can't. We're not allowed to. It's just not a reality of my life. Like, I think I could name the number of times since I started culinary training at the age of 14 that I've had my fingernails painted one of which was my wedding day and it was sheer paint like a very special occasions and then I usually take it off the very next day (laughs) I've had fake nails once in my life for a week because I was vacationing in Florida (laughs) yep well it's the same with the hair it's the same with the hair I don't get my hair done because I always gotta wear a hat (laughs) and if you cut it short you can't put it up (laughs) Right. <laughs> I don't know, guys. A, a pedicure, there's really nothing better than having some freshly painted toenails and having someone massage your feet in a bowl of hot water for an hour. Yeah. I've gotten a few pedicures in my life, and I actually really, really despise my feet if my toenails aren't painted. It's <laughs> like my, my hidden, very feminine trait um, to the point where it has to be like a super specific shade of red. <laughs> Right. I noticed that you always have bread. <laughs> I can't. Um, 
my husband like once said to me, he was like, but purple is your favorite color. Like, why don't you ever paint your toes a different color? And so I was like, well, he's totally right. Purple is my favorite. Why don't I paint my toes purple? Blasphemy. So I went out and bought purple nail polish and I, I hated it. I no. <laughs> just so wrong. <laughs> I totally know that. Yeah. Toes are meant to be like red or pink in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A girly I know, color. Like, really going deep into this like gender um of the for the different jobs that I'm looking at and I'm reading through them and honestly the top like 20 of the ones that are all male dominated like up to like the 98% of men that are that are male dominated are all ones that are still essential workers like uh you know heavy equipment and construction and firefighters and um you know right. so much different pieces of of construction and stuff that is still essential um, there's a couple like, you know, carpeting installation and stuff that probably that I don't know if any of those will still keep going, but um, comes to like auto maintenance and all these kinds of things like I'm just going it's now it's on the top 40, I think, that are like over nine are all still essential um, uh, industries. Interesting. Yeah, women are totally hit so much harder in this, in this coronavirus. Yeah. Men, this is maybe this was uh, not as new to you both, but I am now seeing it in the numbers and like looking at the the distribution of it. Like it is very stark the difference. Yeah, that yeah, that's crazy. I very quickly, when um, I I briefly mentioned that I am a child care provider. I have had a legally unlicensed child care in my home, which means I've got two little guys. I only watch two other children on my own. <laughs> Um, and when I had to decide to close, it meant that other people couldn't work and, and the families I care for, first of all, it's such a small program because I'm legally unlicensed. It only impacted literally a couple families. Um, but I thought about it and in most family scenarios, if your childcare is unavailable for whatever reason, it's going to be the mom that has to stay home and care for those kids. Right. So if their job is still an option. If there isn't childcare, you're not going to go to work. Yeah. Nine but, times the mom. Yeah. And I don't want to say that it's always the mom. Cause of course there's some wonderful dads and I actually have some friends who, when they, when couples That's true. and they looked at their salary, the mom made more. And so dad became a well, dad. But yeah, that is it, <laughs> I was going to say that too. I mean, it also would kind of depend on who makes more money and who would be able to, you know, let's say bring home the bacon, like, you know, in a situation like our pandemic currently, you know, you, you got to make sure somebody's still able to bring money to pay your bills, you know, but yeah, it usually is definitely the female that stays home. You know, like I said, well, even me and my fiance, like we really don't make that much difference. You know, he has, he makes more technically, um, on the book, but he also has different things, you know, he takes more out of his 401k and like stuff like that. So, but at the end of the week, we both kind of make like the same money. So in our situation, it was, you know, we're both bringing home very close to the same amount of money, but I chose to stay home with the kids instead of him, you know, because I feel also that his job is more essential to the kids and to you know the people that we know whatever than my job right you mentioned he um works for a major grocery store near you yes he is the night manager um doing all the stocking of the shelves and stuff you know so right so literally making sure the rest of us can buy groceries right exactly like <laughs> it's those people right there that are making the world run right now you right know? Right. They, you know, if, if he, if the grocery stores were to close or even the people working at the grocery stores all opted to not want to work, like, what would we do? You know, like there's not enough time to grow crops of our own. Like we would be in an even tremendously worse situation. Yeah. I have to say, even though, um, the pandemic has certainly inspired um, an interest in self-sufficiency when it comes to food. Like I heard there is a baby chick shortage because so yeah. many people are buying baby chicks for their right. backyard. 
hard. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, because they're I'm a little concerned about because, like, in six months, like, best case scenario, the virus clears up, and this is just a very unfortunate kind of right. piece of our history, and not something that we have to like kind of ongoingly deal with, which unfortunately might be the case too. But what happens to all these chickens when all the people realize how much work chickens are? So, like, seriously, one of my friends, like, through social media like legitimately went and purchased a goat <laughs> like I was like are you like okay I understand you know we're in like post crisis situation but you're gonna buy a goat like what's gonna happen like are you gonna keep your goat <laughs> I mean is the goat for milk or is it for me but you know like, like okay well I guess whatever floats your boat <laughs> Yeah, there's probably reasons why that no one got chicks or goats in the past because they're a lot of work and <laughs> right you that last year does you know your circumstance doesn't change that greatly. Um, well, I think the thing is right now, uh, so many people are unemployed that they're like, yeah, sure, I could feed chickens and check for eggs and do all this stuff because we have, yeah. kind of, or so many people right now kind of have unlimited free time. Um, and but it, assuming society resumed and we go back to working and everything right will you still have time for chickens or i guess a go <laughs> right yeah yeah and then what do you do with them at that point you know and when you've you're back to work full time and like oh i don't have time to feed the chickens yeah i i uh and you just eat them unfortunately we yeah. see a huge increase of of chickens in need of rehoming post career <laughs> Maybe I'll just build a chicken pen just in case. Yeah, there you go. I mean, so I had been researching getting chickens for over a year now. And I had been hesitant because there are a lot of work. And my friends who are like avid chicken keepers. I don't know. I guess yeah. I don't chicken. If you do live in an area where there's like a lot of bugs or even ticks, they're actually extremely beneficial. That was what I was making. That that what was what was making me want them was that they eat ticks. They do. <laughs> so yeah. We do. We we get quite a bit of ticks here, like sometimes because, you know, we have woods behind our house. So a lot of the times, you know, especially while well, my son just had one on his ear the other day, it was crazy. Like we were literally outside for, I don't, I don't know, a half hour and he came in and yep, sure enough, he had one on his ear. It wasn't attached or anything, but it was there. Was yeah. Like, I'm, I'm kind of glad we have a large backyard, but like there's um, here in Portland, Maine, I, th I think we have like the nickname, like the forest city or something. It's the city is built very much with the forest still intact with trails, like winding through it and everything. Um, but luckily my yard manages to not abut any of it. <laughs> so we seem yeah. to be in our backyard, but it's such a worry ticks. It is. Um, speaking of worry, um, kind of going back to your fiance working in grocery, like how much stress and anxiety does that add to your family dynamics, having him go out into the world every day <laughs> it's it's really scary um in the beginning it wasn't you know as bad because you know things weren't as bad at that point but now you know especially like in recent you know days and this week and you know you just keep seeing the numbers climb and climb which you know it hasn't been a significant you know or, or like super scary increase as of yet thank god in my area but even just watching this climb and hearing the news and telling them you know i've heard a few things where they've said like we haven't even hit the peak yet so it's extremely scary to me you know i make sure i give him the whole spiel like wash your hands a million times like you right. know make work gloves like i i went to my work and i got him specifically a box of gloves to where, um, you know, he carries a little bottle of hand sanitizer in his pocket. Like, you know, I make him, as soon as he comes in the door, he strips his clothes and goes right into the shower and takes a super hot shower. You know, like we do the whole yards where we try to take as many precautions as possible because we have a family of six, you know? So if one of us gets sick, it, there's a good chance we're all going down, you know, and it it's scary to know that 
I mean, I have two teenagers who are 18 and 16, and then I have two toddlers who are five and two. So it's, it's terrifying for me as a mom to know that he could possibly bring something home and not even know it because think about how many people go in and out of that store daily. Because in our area, we don't actually have a, you know, stay at home order or anything like that. We just have an advisory. Oh. Which is basically, we're only supposed to be going out for essential, which would be, you know, grocery or medical reasons of such. But, you know, the people in my area have not been super cooperative about that. And that in itself worries me. Because I've been stuck home with my four children for almost a month now. Oh, and God. Like, yeah. So it's like, well, if I'm following the rules and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, like you're just prolonging everybody's at home time because nobody wants to listen and everybody wants to, you know, still go shopping two or three times a week. And like, yeah, you have those people that are wearing masks and gloves, but are they changing their gloves like they're supposed to? And obviously me coming from a kitchen environment where cross-contamination is super important and, you know, I have to be very knowledgeable about what I'm touching, how many times I'm washing my hands, if I'm wearing gloves, you know, it comes into play. I'll, you know, I go to the grocery store and I see somebody touching this and then I see them touching that and it's like, you know, what's the point of wearing gloves? Like, I'd rather you just wash your hands. <laughs> so it's definitely a scary thing for me um, to have him working at a, especially in this town, the particular store that he works at is the major grocery store in this town. Yeah, that's really gotta be tough. Have, have you, has your grocery store put in any place like here in Maine, they put like, um, bots on the ground that's six feet apart, people standing in line and they limited how many people could go in the store. Yes. Yep. Uh, they actually have a person that stands outside and like wipes down all the grocery carts after everybody uses them. Uh, they put the plexiglass up. Um, you know, oh, I, I don't know if you guys see it in your establishments, but you know, every, Every kind of eatery around here now has them plexiglass in front of the registers. Um, they got the tape on the floor. Uh, I don't know about where you guys live, but I know here, actually, the store, a lot of the stores are doing away with the plastic bags. They, you know, that was a whole thing where they were going to paper. They were, you know, we all had to bring our own reusable bags. Well, now we've resorted back to plastic bags and paper bags because they don't want people bringing in their reusable bags at this current time. Right. Yep. Yep. They lifted, there's a plastic ban, plastic bag that was going to happen. And they, they lifted that. And same thing with the styrofoam ban. They lifted that too. Right. Silly. Why can't they switch to plastic? (laughs) Yeah. You like the plastic bag? But, I get because it's like whether people are bringing something from their home into the place, right? Whereas like the styrofoam is just like you just need to buy a different kind of container, right? <laughs> people are bringing their containers from home, but yeah, I mean they they they're definitely taking their precautions. Um, you know, they even had a scare where one of the employees uh, was tested, which it came back negative, but um you know, it's just scary. It's scary in itself. You know, like when he came home and he told me that, you know, somebody had gotten tested, like my heart just sank because I was like, Oh my God, you've been working, you know, like you've been in that building. I've been in that building. Like, how do I know I didn't? And this was before they put up all the plexiglass. I mean, they still had the tape and, and, you know, they have the announcements over the intercom or please, you know, respect the social distancing and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So, but at that point, it's like, oh my God, like, what if I touch something? What if, what if, what if? And it's terrifying right now. You know, like, I know I'm not in that age group. I'm 39 years old, so I'm not technically in the age group where I'm 
in trouble or at risk, you know, but it still worries me because the children basically is what it comes down to. Yeah. Now I, I'm a mom too. And also been stuck in the house with my kids forever. And, um, it's rough. <laughs> and I'm saying that as someone who works from home with her children, doing yeah. childcare, um, and something about uh, just just the amount of external stressors and the change of routine and, and the inability to kind of go out on little adventures, um, it's taking a toll on on families and children and mothers all over the place. Now, um, how has your house like been impacted? Like, what do you? How, what are you guys doing to stay sane? Um, like with the kids, what are you cooking? Like, what's a day like quarantine for you guys? Um, I lost my sanity about three weeks ago. <laughs> so one week into this, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's rough for me. I mean, I know you have small you have small kids too, so you know you know small kids need a lot of busy time. You know, so. My two being five and two, I mean, they're very rambunctious on the go children as it is anyways. So, and, you know, they don't understand what's going on. Like I can explain to my five-year-old, like he understands there's a sickness going around in the world and we all have to be careful. We can't be near people. Like he gets all that. And obviously he knows that he hasn't been going to school and he hasn't been, you know, I haven't been going to work, but he doesn't fully grasp what's really going on. Right. So I try to keep in mind constantly that he's all screwed up too. Like he doesn't get what's going on and he doesn't get why we're all home together and they get bored very quickly, you know? So it's, it's very hard to keep them occupied. Like the last week I've really just been, no, don't touch your sister. No, leave your brother alone. Will you guys stop fighting? Like, I'm going to separate you. You know, it's like they've been at each other's throats lately because, you know, they don't understand and they don't get why their daily routines have stopped. Yeah. You know, it's a whole different life for them. We're talking to people on video chats and, you know, on on telephone calls instead of, you know, going to their houses. They keep asking me, oh, when are we going to go back to school? When are we going to, you know, see Ashley or, or daycare? Like, they don't understand what's going on. And it's hard enough for us to process it. You know, like, I ask myself that every right. day, like, when am I going to get to see my parents again? When am I going to get to yep. see my sisters again? And um, we don't know. And we are dealing with that in our own way. And so I, that's got to be for kids that are slightly aware. Like for some of the younger kids that like are just blissfully unaware, they're probably like, great, everyone's home. Everyone's playing with me. This is great. Right. Yeah. That's like my two-year-old. She's like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's home all the time. But for those kids that are on the cusp of like, I know something's wrong, but I can't quite understand. I don't have the brain development yet to understand what's really going on and be able to deal with it. That's got to be like just a level of frustration they might not even know they're having. Right. Yep. I definitely see my five-year-old struggling some days. It's very hard for him to, you know, find things to keep him busy. Yeah. He says there's a bad germ, and then he just constantly asks, like, when the bad germ goes away, can we go see Mama and Pop Pop? Can we go right. to New York City? Like, whatever it is, can we go to the park? Like, it, it's big or little. It's like always when the bad germ goes away. The so, bad know, germ. That's what's preventing us from doing these things that he wants to do. Not that we go to New York City super often, but he realizes right. why we can't. Someone should write like a book about this time, and I want them to call it "When the Bad Germ Goes Away." Yeah. So my my mother-in-law is a wonderful person and she is a musician. Um she is actually the artist who um wrote and sings the um theme music for this project. Um so the song is Come Over and um she is she has been coping by writing children's song to help children cope through this. 
Wow. So maybe I will share one on the uh, feminist Instagram because they're very cute and um, super timely. And I I think it's just a great way to kind of like reuse a skill set to kind of help other people right now. So um, the kids have been loving our class because, I mean, it is their grandmother, but also just because you know, it's talking about what helpers look like and understanding and washing your hands. Right. That's yeah. so neat. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So um, I know, Laura, that you uh, recently started vlogging as a, a new hobby and I guess, dare I say, coping mechanism. <laughs> I would say more coping mechanism. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about that project and just kind of like, Obviously, you got started recently, and you're saying it's a coping me- mechanism. But um, what yes. is it? What's it called? How can we find it? And what are your goals? Um, it's called the Not Right Chef Mom. Um, you know, because right now everything's just not right. So basically, I mean, like you had mentioned, it was something I could do not only with myself, um, but I can also involve the children. You know, so being a chef mom, I figured it would all be a good outlet, you know, to not only cook with my children, teach them how, mainly my five-year-old, he really likes to help me cook dinner and such. So it was something that me and him could do together, um, keep him busy. One of our first videos, me and my son made meatloaf together. And it's a super fantastic recipe for meatloaf and it comes out really, really good. And, you know, it was just really neat for him to be like, oh my God, there we are on YouTube. Like he was so ecstatic about it. So, yeah, I think it's really great that you've, um, you know, found something like an outlet to do like as a family that, I mean, can be a product of your own and something you could continue doing after quarantine, but also that kind of gives you something that you can do together. Cause I know it's really hard when you have families who are normally so involved in their own routines and their own activities, their own jobs, their own hobbies to now all of a sudden we're like stuck inside. We all have varied interests. Where can we find common ground to kind of entertain one another? So I think that's just really great that you found a way to kind of get the whole family involved in a single kind of just project. Yeah, it's definitely helped for sure. That's really, that's, that's like a very sweet family activity. It is, you know, and like everybody, I just look at it as everybody's adjusting right now to living a different kind of way. And we, it kind of all just happened so quickly, you know, that it's been a tough adjustment, not only for children, but for adults, for elders, you know, just for everybody. And it's just something to keep you know, the sanity, something to keep the boredom away and making the vlogs and including the family. It's, it's not just something for me, you know, it's something for all of us. So it's definitely helped us for sure. I just need to work on the editing. because <laughs> I'm not very tech savvy. So I'm learning though. I'm learning. <laughs> That's cool. Well, good luck. I hope you go, hope you go viral. Thank you. <laughs> are we allowed to say viral? Are we allowed to hope that you go viral? Oh well, I mean, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. I'll just say, hoping someone makes millions these days, right? Millions. Yeah, there you go. There are some people. That's what my that's what my daughter was saying. She's like, you know, some people make uh, money off of YouTube. I'm like, well, <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> Now, I guess the word would be like pandemic, like instead of being like, I hope you like, I'm going to go viral. It's like, I'm going to go pandemic. I'm going to go <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> we should totally start using that too. It's too soon, guys. It might be too soon. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe once the bad germ is gone. I say the bad germ is still here. We might not be allowed to do it, but I do like it. Well, thank you both for joining us tonight. And um, thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. If you have the chance, head on over to our website, www.femadish.com. We have a variety of blog posts up there for something to do between now and our next episode. Um, And we hope that you all remain safe, secure, happy, and healthy during 
literal pandemic. We were trying to save the world. I was picking up the house. Why don't you put it down? Come over. Come over. 